The books we read in high school. <laughs> <laughs> the books we read in high school. They weren't so much fun, but now we're older and I think I understand it a little better than I used to. Hey, this is the books we read in high school. That's Rich Werner over there. And that's Ben Poole. And we're here to talk about... The books that we read in high school. You read it before. And you read it again. The first time, maybe you don't quite understand it so much, or maybe you didn't even get all the way through it. Um, yeah, I'm guessing you, you maybe you threw it out, and you or you lost it. I wrote a whole essay in class on a book that I never read and got a pretty decent score. I think we're all familiar with that. But now we're adults. And we know better. And we read better. And so that's what we're here to talk about. Here we are. Hey, this is um, a broad literary experiment known as the books we read in high school. Let's let's talk a little bit. <laughs> I I can see that this was all your idea. All right. Well, let me. Why, why let me are we doing this? Um, if they like it, it was all your idea. If you know, they, if they yeah. If yeah. they don't like it, it's all your idea. If they like it, it's my idea. But what if they like it? They equal parts like it and don't like it. Then, then we can share. We, yeah, can, we share. can share. Okay. Um, so I, the world has caught up to me. I think um, I used to read a lot. I think a lot of people used to read a lot more than they do now, and I think a lot of people are like me, <laughs> and they're lacking literature in their lives and or maybe they want to read a book and they don't have the time or they don't have the energy and here I am without the time or the energy trying to regain some literature in my life and I have had a number of books travel with me everywhere I've, I've gone just for me to keep on a shelf and I look at them often and have kind of longing nostalgia for what they meant to me a long time ago. And now here's, here's the opportunity, right? Maybe, maybe if I reread some books, maybe that'll help me motivate. Maybe that will motivate me. Maybe that will help me kind of get some meaning with some, some literary meaning. You get what I was trying to say? Sure. Well, <laughs> I, d I do. And, and I think we all suffer from the same thing. There's, you know, we're hard-pressed to find time for books these days, right? There's lots of stuff happening. There's football, and there's video games, and there's family, and there's work. There's things to do. And so, you know, you and I, we're both teachers. We're, we're, we, we probably are, are decent readers, and there's nothing I enjoy more than standing, you know, in a classroom being completely... Um, exuberant about books and just talk celebrating books that I've read or kids have read. But the one thing I'm not is I'm not a rereader. When I read a book, I take it and it goes up on the shelf like some kind of trophy, right? Here, look at the book that I've read. Here's my vast library. Stand before it and weep with fear and intimidation. These are all the tomes that I have consumed. You know, and so when you said, let's go back and let's reread some of the books we read in high school and let's talk about it, I excited it. I, I, I got excited about that idea because it's not something I, I normally do. Um, 
Yeah. And so, and so here we are. Here we are. Um, I guess that kind of gets us into our first choice, right? Which is actually really my first choice. Nothing, yeah, this not, is all yours. This is all. This was all me. Um, and I first read this book back in two uh, thousand two. I'm gonna give you my one sentence summary here, and see if you out there in Audioville can deduce. Maybe you've read this book as well. An unnamed narrator is taught the secrets to sustainable human life by a telepathic gorilla, but first he comes to understand why human beings can suck so much and how they became so sucky. Did you appreciate the drama? I that? did. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's making me guess whether or not you and I read the same book. Yeah, of course we did. <laughs> uh, Still guessing? Still unsure what book we're talking about this week? Here's another one-sentence summary for you. A two-tongue gorilla who lives in a New York apartment puts a wanted ad in the newspaper to be a mentor for one lucky student. The unemployed schlub who responds to this ad is not the first to respond, but he is the one who lasts. The gorilla runs him through a 200-page lecture that is a cross between Tuesdays with Maury and Sapiens. Is that really one sentence? No, that was like three sentences. I think if you, j- if you could just put a semicolon in there. Yeah, okay. that would, yeah. Can just, more, yeah. more dashes, more dot, dot, dot. I think that's adjourned. Uh, have you guessed out there what it is? All that's right. right. The first book we read in high school, reread in high school. The book you read, the book you read, the book, the book that we read. This, Ish- yeah. Ishmael. All right. It's Ishmael. Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. I, you've probably seen this book around. Um, everyone I know has it. Maybe you haven't. I, I have seen it around because it's on my library shelf. Um, I feel like this is a very common book. I feel like a lot of people, if they haven't read it, they own it or were given it as a gift or have somehow come to have it or have bought it, planning to read it. It's a very common book. So what were your experiences? You know, take us back to you as a high schooler. Take us back to the world of high school. What was going on in the world and how this book fit into your worldview at the time? What what did you think when you read this book back then? So a couple things. All right. So so June of 2002 was a a very uh, pivotal time in in my life and the world abroad. American Idol premiered its first episode in June. That's that's important. Um, Avril Lavigne was popular. I don't know if you remember Avril. Um, Dick Cheney was president for two and a half hours while President Bush had a colonoscopy. That was... That was something from June of 2002. But it was also... Are you equating the reading of this book to a colonoscopy? I, I wouldn't know <laughs> at this point. Um, so I, I graduated in 2002, and in June, um, I, I read this book. It was the first book I read actually after I had graduated from high school. And I remember there was a group of, of kids... Um, around my junior year, maybe the beginning of my senior year, who were just carrying this book around with them all the time and, and were kind of just spouting off the wisdom of this gorilla. And I, you know, it's, oh, you don't know, man. It's, you gotta, you gotta read this book. It's gonna change your mind. 
and um, I didn't believe them, and I don't really like it when people tell me what's going to change my mind or not because I'm that way. But um, I did. I, I picked it up from the from the local bookstore, and um, and I read it. Now I grew up in a very kind of conservative. It's more liberal now, but it was conservative then, and I still think of it as a very conservative place. Um, a little tiny island town in southeast Alaska called Sitka, and uh, it. Reading this book, which has a lot of very big worldviews in it, really did kind of open my mind to some stuff that I had not been exposed to or things that I had thought of um, at all. I mean, I feel like going through this again, I can see some things in there that have really sort of informed my worldview today. And um, and yeah, so but I remember like, like that whole kind of the month of June, I was working at this Raptor Center. I don't know if you've ever been to or heard of a Raptor Center. It's like a hospital for, for raptors, for eagles and owls and birds with talons and hooked beaks. And How, how sensitive of you. <laughs> and so I would take tickets in this little booth. And I remember sitting there just reading Ishmael, um, dressed up in my, my kind of khaki brown outfit, um, kind of in a green blanket in this outhouse of a ticket booth and was just reading this book and loving it the whole time. I felt like I was very much in tune um, with nature. Now, I think having said that, I'm going to talk a little bit about what the actual book is about because if, you, if you're unfamiliar with this, um, we do have a, a 200-pound gorilla, 2,000-pound gorilla? Big, big gorilla. Yeah, two tons, right? Yeah, two tons, two tons. Very large gorilla. Um, basically telling an unnamed protagonist about the meaning of life and how life is the way it is and why mankind is sort of dooming itself in, in certain respects. And um, that was the first time I had kind of been exposed to that idea. And it really, uh, today, I, I can see it reading back. It's informed kind of who I am today, both kind of spiritually and politically. Well, I mean, that's kind of a big statement. You're saying that looking back, you can see that this book influenced who you are. Yeah. It's, a, it's the greatest statement for reading that I've probably ever heard. Uh, honestly, um, I, I don't read it now as so gloom and doom, I think, as you do. Uh, like, if there's a gorilla telling me the way of the world and the meaning of life, I, I see that as kind of an exercise in self-awareness a little bit, um, but not necessarily towards our demise, but how we can help ourselves. But, you know, maybe that's a, a result of all the other inspirational literature that I read when I was in high school. I... I loved Richard Bach. There's, you know, the book, um, Jonathan Livingston Seagull. And uh, is I remember... Is that about a seagull? It is. It's an allegory of okay. a seagull. Don't ask me what happens in that one. I really have no recollection. I just remember being really inspired by it. And I remember bringing some magical quote up to my father at the time. Like, you know, the quote was something like, um, the path of our happiness is the purpose for which we have chosen our lifetime. Dad, what do you think? Isn't that great? Isn't that mean something? And my dad kind of went, meh. Um, I think he was, you know, he was too absorbed in his self-help books of the time. Yeah, up on his shelf was The Power of No 
the power. it was called. <laughs> was it really the power of I no? I think it's the power of no. It's not the power of yes. Which is weird because I don't remember <laughs> my dad ever really saying yes to anything I ever That's said. Or I'm okay, you're okay. I think there's there was kind of like a the men, men are from Mars, women are from Venus, that kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. So I just th- that was how I started to go construct my own bookshelf. It's like, well, if you're not, we're not inspired by the same stuff. Your books are boring, my books are awesome, and so let's go see what this gorilla has to say. Totally. It's funny that you bring up that uh, with your dad because I remember trying to tell my dad about this book. Yeah. And, and my dad is. Um, I wouldn't call him a climate denier. I would call him something else, but along that line. Is this a recent conversation or way back when? No, this was way back when. I remember like, so this was uh, me, my freshman year of college, sitting at a Wendy's, eating a spicy chicken sandwich and trying to tell my dad, like, you gotta, you gotta understand that humans aren't what you think they are <laughs> or something to that line. And I was trying to be Socratic and I was trying to draw him into my conclusions about what the way what the, the gorilla draws. Exactly. I was, I was trying to be yep. a and it, it didn't really go over all that well, but um, yeah, my books are awesome and, and his are just, yeah. yeah. Don't take this the wrong way, but you are no Ishmael in I, a very good way. Let's use that to get into the book a little bit. Like, you know, <laughs> Okay. All right. So, so Ishmael as his philosophy, I mean, he's, he's, he's sitting there talking to this person and t- telepathically, right? Yep. Like kind of just through the eyes. Um, speaking of, have you ever, have you ever gotten the chance to look a gorilla in the eye there? Well, I, I think you're asking this question for a reason. I see that I, you've brought with I you a, a picture it. of a gorilla. I've got this picture of a, of a close to two ton gorilla, I think. I take it this is not from your days at the Raptor Center. This was not from my days at the Raptor Center. This was um, my my wife had used this book as a book club book years ago, and I had forgotten that. And when I took this book off my shelf, this picture of a gorilla fell out, and it's like it's like a, like super like you know Kodak. You can kind of hear it. Right? It's, it's glossy. Like, it's like a photo that people don't have anymore. For um, for the viewers at home, it's uh, basically a picture of a gorilla. He's sitting in some grass, and he's looking right at you. And he looks... He looks human. Strangely human. Sure. And um, strangely isn't... The, it, it, it's just eerily human, I think, is, is the word I'm looking for. <laughs> okay. um, he's looking through me. He understands my soul, this gorilla. I'm, I'm looking at him now, and, and I can tell that, that he just knows who I am, and he knows my history, and, and somehow he knows how to communicate that to me I through his know. eyes. I think he looks a little sad, like... I'm in a cage. You know it. I know it. Kind of let me out of here, please. And let's let's talk yeah. about it. Yeah. Um. I, I, and <laughs> I had forgotten that I had had this moment with the gorilla. Like, when I pulled Ishmael off the shelf, I wasn't thinking about this thing that had happened. It, I think this was the Denver Zoo or something. On a, actually on a field trip, I think with one of uh, my wife's third grade classes, and. I remember feeling like, yeah, that, that gorilla is really kind of staring into my soul a little bit and yeah. isn't necessarily a happy, isn't happy about it. But um, anyway, that's my point. I think what gorilla. I knew in, in high school, I knew that Ishmael was the famous first line from Moby Dick. I knew that call me Ishmael was the first line, but I still didn't know. And I knew that it had a biblical illusion. Ishmael was... I don't. Who, I don't remember. Who's Ishmael again? You know this. 
I think he's the, uh, and I had to look, the, I had no idea. He's the son of Abraham, and Abraham was the son of, I don't know who Abraham was the son of. Uh, Father Abraham, sure. Okay, well, he, anyway. so People in, can write in with the answer yeah, to that yeah. one. <laughs> Please enter it in the comments below. Um, yeah, so he's the, the son of, of Abraham who had been kind of cast out of Abraham's brethren. Is that the right word? His family. Sure, yeah. And then enslaved and then freed at some point. And uh, I think that he lived to be 140 or something um, in the Bible. But uh, he, if you do the Hebrew translation, there's a version of it that, that translates the word Ishmael into God is man, which is kind of a, a little bit about what this book is all about, right? Like there's this, this division between takers and leavers where takers are people who or let's say the societies that have kind of understood life and the world and the earth to be theirs and theirs alone for whatever purposes they need it for whereas leavers kind of understand the world as a place where things happen at the whim of the gods and you take what you need and you leave the rest, right? I'd say leavers are a little bit more in touch with the world. They're in more in harmony with the earth. Yeah. Sure. And takers are those that sort of abuse the earth to their own purposes, right? So um, this whole God is man thing kind of, if I look at takers as people who have given themselves the... What am I trying to say here? Like they've they've taken control over everything. They've taken control away from the gods, right? So if they if there's a flood or a fire or something, they don't necessarily die because of it. Whereas a lever culture might, depending on their circumstances, might perish because of a famine or a flood or something like that. So if you can take um, whatever you can and control it, then you have a better overall chance of survival than if you're leaving your life up to nature. Okay. So (laughs) these these are, (laughs) that was a lot, but (laughs) these are some of the teachings of this gorilla to the one unnamed, you know, recipient of such information in the book. Um, Maybe now's a good time to zoom in on a specific part of the book and, and show what those, lessons look like on the page and zoom in this is the portion of the podcast where rich and i take one aspect no matter what it is and take a closer look you go first i want to know you show me yours well my my zoom in moment is the use of of ishmael the gorilla as uh, a narrator um, because it's a very interesting way of communicating an idea and I'm not sure that I've ever seen anything quite like it in anything I've read before. Um, so if you are telling a story about why mankind has evolved the way it has and why we are destroying the world around us and how we came to destroy the world around us and what we think of the world around us, then is a gorilla communicating without words the best way for an author to communicate that. So you're telling us that the gorilla and the man are not conversing. They're just 
that's it's telepathy. Yeah, the gorilla can't talk. It's uh, it's all it's like looking looking yeah. into the eyes, looking into the eyes of the gorilla. But I, I kind of found an example of it here on page ten, um, where there's a dialogue going on, and in the middle of it. <clears throat> He stared at me for a while without replying, and as far as I could tell at that time, without expression. Then he proceeded as if I had spoken at all. There's a lot of this staring into his eyes, and he replies in his eyes, and we stare at each other, and yet there's this whole conversation going on, and I got to tell you, I'm okay with that. It it, it worked for me. I kind of liked the fact that it was telepathic, this kind of... Um, informational exchange and dialogue without words. Do you think that if it had been a dog, it would be any different? Uh, yes, or a cat, I, I or do. A tiger I, I think or it. I think it comes back to this leopard. picture that you're using for your bookmark. I think that it made sense to me that the the ethos of it worked for me. This gorilla has intelligence. He has self-awareness of his own captivity. And I think by extension of that, he's kind of communicating you're captive too. You just don't know it yet. And, and so it worked for me. Um, and plus I kind of like that little sci-fi aspect of it. This isn't a novel per se. Nothing really happens except the gorilla lectures this student and berates him quite often, right? Like, okay, you're not thinking, answer my question. No, that's not it. You got to think deeper. Think Why harder. do you keep coming to these lessons if you're not going to think, um, you know, what for purpose yourself? do you serve if you're not going to use your brain? Yeah. So he's, he's not a very nice teacher. I don't think, but I do really enjoy what he has to say. Yeah. I think that that ultimately is, you know, my conclusion too. I think that if you, if you used any other mechanism, it wouldn't be as compelling. And I think if you were going to use an animal to do it, the gorilla would probably be the best one to use. I can't say that I've read a ton of books with talking animals, apart from, you know, like kids books and stuff, but like this as a way to communicate an idea, I think, is a, is a very interesting way, a very compelling way, and I think that, that it's necessary, honestly, to the book. Yeah, it, it, for me, it falls into the same genre as something like Tuesdays with Maury, except in a, instead of a man, old man teaching you how to live your life, it's, it's a gorilla. It works for me in exactly the same way. It, I'm glad that you mentioned Tuesdays with Maury. Are you? A little bit. Because okay. that, that begs the question. Playing. Well, there's there's this thing about this book now as an adult that I didn't feel back then. And that is sort of along that Tuesdays with Maury sort of thing. And I think that we've used this word term, uh, dime store wisdom, which I think is a little it's a little pejorative on yeah, my part. Yeah, it's derogatory for um, sure. Yeah, and it, it kind of, you know, cuts the book down a little bit and kind of makes it seem like it's, trite right or cliche or easy or cheap or somehow like convenient and makes you yeah. feel warm and fuzzy makes you feel easy. good about yourself but some of my favorite i love the Tao of Pooh. that's time store philosophy i love that book it's a good one any of those richard bach books you know um i i feel like with this one you can get the same kind of experience you get with sapiens 
but this one predates it by about 30 years or so. So hats off to Dan Quinn for being a little bit ahead of his time. Yeah, and I think that, that sometimes when things get popular or they are you know, a cult classic and then that cult classic becomes a little bit less hipster and a little bit more mainstream that people are more apt to kind of throw that dime store wisdom thing at it. And that doesn't, shouldn't anyway, take away from the overall message of the book or the achievement that the author has, has made here. It, it just kind of means that nowadays, I think that this book is probably more, um, it's more mainstream. I think more people are sort of open to it. And so the, yeah. the message might seem a little bit more familiar than it did, you know, back in 1992 when it was written. Well, and I, I think I kind of found my zoom in moment, which well, and then lost it again, but that's okay. Um, whereby Ishmael is asking questions of his student and he's saying, you know, tell me the myth of creation. And the kid's like, what, what are you talking about, the myth of creation? What, what story is it that you tell that explains your existence? And he kind of goes through this very scientific explanation of, um, evolution, and then this this arrived, this creature arrived, this creature arrived, and, and Ishmael says, well, how come it didn't end with the jellyfish? You know, okay, the jellyfish have arrived, what next? Well, because it ends with us. And, and it kind of starts to beg this question that our, our myth is, is that we see every animal that came before us as a means to getting to us, that they're not the end of creation. We're the end of creation. We're the end of the chain. We're the top of the hierarchy. We're the peak of invention and godliness and science and um, that we see ourselves as the end of creation. Therefore, our worldview is one where the world is made for us. We, we were, you know, the world is ours. We are supreme. It is ours to conquer. It is ours to control. It is ours to use as we see fit. And I, I found that to be very interesting. We don't see ourselves biologically as just another creature on this planet in order to live in harmony with other creatures or to live in harmony with nature. We see ourselves as above that. And so it kind of points at this creation myth that allows for some egocentrism or would that be ethnocentrism? Yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. So I, I kind of really enjoyed, that was a novel idea for me here. I am as old as I am reading as many books as I have. And I found that to be a very interesting idea, even though I'm not articulating it very well. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're articulating it very well. Thank you so much. Um, I think that there is like the, what what you've just talked about was a moment in the book that that stood out. I think like there's a little for sure, you know, moments about the the jellyfish and and why it is that we think that we have ended all of evolution, like everything evolved to be us. We are the pinnacle of everything. Is um, is it is it selfish of us to think, or like it's just it's just we put ourselves at the center of everything as humans. Some of us humans do anyway, and it it, it that resonates right? Like today there are groups of people out there that you could probably point to and say, Oh yeah, those guys think that they're, they're the center of, of the universe, right? And everything revolves around them and everything is under their thumb. Um, when in fact it's, it's not really, and it's a lot more complicated than that. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, I think it's also a way to kind of walk away from this book without feeling completely um, despondent. In other words, all I have to do is change my worldview. I am not the pinnacle of creation. I'm just some guy. And once I can learn to live with a little humility, that's one of the essential steps towards living in harmony with nature rather than conquering nature. Right. And I think, you know, towards the end of this book, um, you know, that there is this moment of uh, where the narrator is kind of wondering, like, what do I do with this information? Yeah, you've told me all of this stuff and you've, you know, you've, you've told me how man has become the way we are and you've kind of, you know, made me (laughs) feel bad about it the whole time. Um, But what do you do with that? then right yeah. what do you take away from that and i think that that one of the the most poignant moments in in the book is when ishmael talks to the narrator and says well like you you can't necessarily do anything on your own but like as a society you need to change your narrative you need to understand that like the world maybe isn't here completely for you and if you thought of it that way to begin with well why don't you change it to something like this is a world that we want to keep or that we want to mm-hmm. preserve for, for the future. And I mean, that's not a new message, but it's, it's certainly more hopeful than what the previous 90% of the book had kind of led up to, I thought. Right. Well, and it, it, it's impossible really not to read this book w- now without the lens of climate change, right? Like this has everything to do with for me now, climate change, whereas, you know, before it might have been, oh, I don't know, you know, here's just an interesting idea to play around with. It has a very specific context for me now. And that's just one of the differences, you know, going back now to reread something. And back in in 2002, when I read it, none of that stuff was really there. I mean, you know, kind of echoes of it now that I think about it. But, you know, there was always this and there still is. I mean, there's a debate, right? Uh, is the world getting hotter? Is it getting colder? What's what was what is man really doing to it? Is it really measurable? Um, I think that you know after after I read this, I think that that Al Gore documentary came out and um, An inconvenient truth. That's the one, and yeah. it um, it kind of began or or was a you know sort of a landmark moment in this this movement to you know get people to start thinking a little bit more deeply about how they are impacting their surroundings and and we do we impact our surroundings everywhere we go and if we don't think that we do that's that's a problem right sure yeah you know so one of the things we can do i i think i remember at the end of this book the gorilla says okay here's what you can do you can go grab now that you know everything i know i've imparted all this knowledge to you go grab five students of your own and share this knowledge so I suppose that's what we are supposed to do also as a teacher I'm reluctant to teach this book because well like I said nothing really happens it's a lecture and I think students would be reluctant to be a part of that but I would certainly be willing first of all have it up on the shelf but make it a book club selection here you have these handful of dime store philosophy but here choose this or Tuesdays with Maury or you know um Dao Poo you or the power of no go grab that off my print shelf and you you can read that one of you can read that because there's only one copy and it's falling apart but you know what I mean like to keep that conversation going anyway I, I think it's happening in a bunch of other places as well 
I think so too. And I think, you know, overall for me, I think, you know, as we, as we wrap up here, I, this book the first time through, I remember being on a journey with it and like going, I mean, I think there's a, what do you call it? Like a subtitle or something, a journey of the mind of spirit or journey of the mind and spirit. That sounds about right. Um, on the cover of this book and you know, every book I think that I've ever read has been a journey of, of some sort and some journeys are, you know, a little bit shorter. Some journeys are a little bit longer, more complex. Some journeys are miserable, but right. (laughs) You all arrive, you arrive at some point at the end and maybe you've changed, maybe you've hated it. Maybe you've, you've suffered through it and loved it. Um, this book for me was so powerful when I first read it that as I go back and I take this journey again, I have to kind of evaluate, well, was it, was it worth it? Right? Like, was this journey going through it again necessary <laughs> or, or just, you know, something that I should have done. And overwhelmingly my, my response to that would be yes. I think that going back and rereading this book kind of helped me um, to see a little bit of, of my younger self and understand sort of the life journey that I've been on um, since, since the moment I read this, I think about, you know, what has happened since I graduated from high school and, and, and what places I've gone and, and who I've met along the way. And I think going back and rereading this kind of not only put some of those, you know, political ideas in perspective, but also put a lot of that sort of life stuff in perspective too. Absolutely. I, I thought this is well, worth a read for sure. And that, and well worth a reread. My, my example of the value of a reread comes not from this book, but I was just having a conversation earlier today with a colleague about a book by Cormac McCarthy called The Road. And I had read that book a long time ago before I had children. And then I had reread it now that I have children. When I reread it before children, I was like, yeah, it's all right. And when I reread it with children, it was a completely different thing. It was completely terrifying and suspenseful. Same for this book. It's just, it has a much more specific context. I, I, I've part, the ideas from before are, are, are there, but now it has specific context. It, it still totally resonates. Yes, this gorilla is kind of a jerk and he's kind of luxury and stern, but I completely agree with everything he has to say. I find what he has to say very interesting and compelling. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Well, thank you, Rich, for, for coming along with me. No, Ben, thank you. Good thank idea you. and good first pick. This is, or has been, the books we read. Read, we read, you read, I read. In high we school. all read <laughs> in high school. Thanks for listening.